to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. I believe God has more messages for our heart today. I believe there's healing in this for someone else today as well. We're going to be in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 14. Do you think I said Matthew? Luke chapter 14 here in just a moment. As you're turning, I want you to think back to a time of great celebration in your life. I want you to think of a party that you went to or that you hosted that was in the top five of all parties you've been to. You, you know what it was. It maybe was a birthday party. It maybe was a party celebrating a new job. Maybe it was a wedding. Maybe it was a party celebrating the end of an illness. Maybe it was a great party celebration of a homegoing of a loved one when they finally crossed over to heaven. What is one of the greatest parties that you've ever been to? You know, uh, it's hard to describe. You just know if a party's good. Whether it's a party that has a reason or you just make up a reason, we just feel like celebrating, we're going to have a party, you, you can tell when it's good. The music is just right and the food is good and everything is, is perfect and, and for whatever reason, it is just a great party. You know, Jesus, when he was asked to describe life with him, he chose to describe a life with him as a party, as a celebration. He said, life with me, life following the Father, is, is an incredible celebration. It's an incredible party, better than any party you could ever imagine. I think some people have a hard time swallowing that. I think when they think of Christianity or church or religion or God, they don't think of a party. They sometimes think more of a funeral, a place where you've got to get dressed up to go and you just kind of be quiet and then there's snacks at the end. Sometimes I think people see God or church or religion or a relationship with God as an elevator. Everybody who's there is anxious to get to where they're going, but heaven's sake, don't talk to anybody and don't look at anybody. Just endure the bad music in the background and just try to get there. Some people have a really skewed idea of church, of God, of, of religion, and and they begin to think celebration party. I don't know that I would call it that. Some may even say that isn't that kind of escapism to see that loving Jesus or having a relationship with him is, is like this party. Haven't you seen my life? Haven't you heard of the challenges that I'm going through? Isn't that just kind of escaping and ignoring reality? I think Jesus would say, yeah, I know that there is tough things in life. But in the midst of those challenges, you can have joy. There can be celebration. It's not an escape. But in the very midst of an awareness of the pain of what you're going through, there's an awareness that you have hope, that you have reason to celebrate. Life will be hard, Jesus says. It'll be difficult. But he told us to expect at the same time that we can live in celebration with him. There's this unexplainable peace that can be experienced life-changing hope, the reality that there is something more than what I'm experiencing here on this earth. People want theological explanations. They want to make sense of it all. They want to have some kind of rationale or logic. But let's look at Luke 14 before we try to dive into some of those questions and see what the text has for us today. 
As you look at Luke 14, there in the first verse, it's, it's kicking off where there is the trick questions that are starting. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are gathering around Jesus, and they're ready to trip him up to show that they know more about the law than he does, and, and to try to make themselves look better than he. In Luke 14, verse 7, we find the first of three tables that I want us to look at today. Three tables, you see that in that day, eating at a table was more than just eating at a table. When you would break bread with somebody, it was a big deal. Who you had at your table and whose table you were at was a big deal. In other words, it wasn't just a place to eat, it was a place to do life, it was a place to share life, to build relationships, to establish priorities and order in life. We find three tables in this text that I want us to look at this morning. And the first one is this table we find here, it's starting at verse 7 through the next few verses, that I've called the me table. It's the table that's focused and centered on myself. Listen to verse 7 through 14 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This me table that's introduced, this self-centered table, this way of looking at life and doing life that's focused on me, it is self-centered. I mean, it's not complicated. Just jot that down. It is so focused. It's so centered on ourself. This was so true of the Pharisees. They were concerned about where they would sit to describe a great party for them and what they wanted to see. They had to figure out where they were going to be seated and would they bring honor to them. Would they be noticed? They wanted to be the center of attention. This me table way of life is not only self-centered, it's self-preserving. The Pharisee not only wanted to be seated at the, the best place, he wanted to make sure that he never lost status. He had to try to hang on to the status that he got, and he wanted to preserve whatever kind of standing he had to make sure people knew how smart he was, how good he was, how disciplined he was, how respected he was. Self-centered, self-preserving, and self-profiting. The Pharisee, who was hosting this meal that Jesus was at, He was inviting those to come to the table to do life with him that could pay him back somehow. He would scratch their back knowing that someday they would scratch his back. Now this meat table that the Pharisees are at looks kind of bad and we can begin to get hard on the Pharisees. But before we do, let's look at the context of our own life. 
It's not just about how we throw a party or a banquet or who we invite over to our house, but think of it this way. It's a way of life that's focused on what you enjoy. It's focused on what you have experienced. That's what life is about. It's where you are at. That's what's most important to you. A way of life that preserves your own interests, your own security, your own status. A way of life that that profits you. You only get involved with people that you enjoy or people that can give you something somehow, some experience or some resource. Sounds a little bit different. To me, it smells a lot like what we hear of the American dream. Get what you want, when you want it, how you want it, where you want it. Why? Because you deserve it. Does that sound familiar? What if we got what we really deserved? I mean, there's plenty of talk at the me table about what I deserve, but very little probing thought to what I really deserve. This me table that Jesus is encountering is full of self-centeredness. Now, I know you may be thinking, hey, Jesus is talking about where you sit at a dinner table. It's more like manners. It's how to be a good host or a good friend and how to put on a smile and be guys smiley and welcome people around you and have a humble attitude and then you'll be honored. Isn't it just more about etiquette or, or some kind of way to interact with people? Well, don't miss this. That is exactly what the Pharisees were thinking when Jesus taught this principle. They didn't get it. They thought that Jesus was giving another rule, another layer of, of, of religiosity, of some kind of custom to help them find a loophole that, oh, I get it, sit in the worst seat so you're moved to the best seat and everybody can see how great you are. And they're looking for this loophole and a rule, and Jesus sees that they completely missed his whole point. That brings us to the second table I find in this passage. Look at verse 15 with me of chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Oh, I get it. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast and the kingdom of God. But he finds himself at this mistaken table. He has left the me table that's focused on himself, but he has picked and choose what he wants to listen to, and and he has totally missed the point of Jesus' teaching. This man sitting at the table with Jesus here at the mistaken table saw the glory of God's kingdom, but he had no idea how to get in. This guy was missing the point at best. He was mistaken. His way of life was mistaken. At the mistaken table... Just like this man, you are self-skewed when you find yourself there. See, this man following his own intellect led himself astray. He was sincere in what he thought, but he was sincerely wrong. He was self-guided, but self-skewed. Not only self-skewed, but it was self-inflicted. He had no one else to blame but himself. It was his own stubbornness that caused him to camp out and stop at the way of life at the mistaken table. This guy didn't catch any of the other teaching that Jesus was saying. In essence, he began to hear things that Jesus would say, and he'd say, hey, hey, I get it. It's all about those people who get to go to the banquet when the kingdom of God, who's there, man, they are something. 
I want to be one of those people because that's where real status is at. That's where real honor is at. You've got to get that invite. It's all about those honored guests. He missed everything else that Jesus was teaching, but he hung on to the parts of Jesus' message that he liked and made it his own, and he was completely mistaken. He was talking religious talk. He saw the glory of God's kingdom, but he was clueless how to get in. This mistaken table is so often where many people park for the rest of their life. Their eyes have been opened to the selfish me table, and they have moved away from that, but they have camped out just picking and choosing things of Jesus' teaching that they want to hang on to, and they find that they are just as miserable. And here's the tragedy. They have no excuse to stay there. They see so clearly how wrong and misleading the me table is, but they have chosen in their own stubbornness to hang on to what they want to take from the teaching, and they miss the whole point. They live in great frustration and turmoil. They either come to a crisis of faith, or become legalistic and rule-focused, or bitter and cynical. But they are deceived. You've heard it said before, how do you know when you are deceived? Think about it. If you're deceived, how do you know when you are deceived? You don't. You're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, then you're no longer deceived. And so if you're sitting at the mistaken table, you don't get out of this by yourself. If you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived until you are confronted by the truth. So that's exactly what Jesus does here in the next few verses. Jesus tells a story to confront the me table way of life and the mistaken table way of life. Look with me at verse 16 through 24. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so, so I can't come. I can't attend. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet now there's the final table it's the one spoken of here by jesus in this parable it's the master's table and at the master's table you find people there who are others focused they are outwardly seeking they get the whole teaching that jesus is saying and they oust the uncommitted they kick out they get rid of the uncommitted it is the master's table now look with me at verse 16 again. Look what it says. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now just stop right there. The master is saying, everything is ready. Just imagine with me this banquet that is set and it is ready. 
Now, you have to look around the room. You have to imagine that the decorations are exquisite. The table is set. It is beautiful. Oh, and the food, oh, it is so good. Everything you could ever want is provided at this banquet. If you like Twinkies, they got Twinkies. If you like fried Twinkies, they've got fried Twinkies. They have awesome hors d'oeuvres. It's not the little skimpy ones. It's the hefty hors d'oeuvres. It's the one that could be like a meal in itself. It's amazing. The food is just going on and on. The meat, oh, steak, pork chops, chicken, hot dogs, hamburgers, it is endless. Mashed potatoes and tasty gravy, steamed vegetables, dunked in cheese. It's so good, I can see it. Every kind of pizza possible, loaded with toppings. And the desserts, oh, I can almost taste them. Every kind of cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory is there, ready to be eaten. Amen, that's a good place for an amen. Oh, and the candy table, my favorite. It is full of gas station candy. It is so good. And you say, what is gas station candy? It's not that complicated. It's candy you get at the gas station. It's my favorite. It's not Godiva chocolate nasty stuff. It's sugar-based gas station candy. It's endless. Every kind of candy you had when you were a child, it is so, so good. The music was great. The live band was ready to take requests from any of the honored guests. It was going to be the best party ever. It was decorated to the hilt. The table was huge. There was room enough for everybody. And the food was the best. The master took so much time to prepare it. Now look at verse 17 again. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. You see, Jesus was telling this story to people who knew about the customs of the day. And they knew what a big party would be all about. Jewish culture was as such that a big party like this was planned way, way in advance. They didn't just send out some kind of Facebook message or some kind of email, say, hey, come to my house for this time. No, they would send somebody to the house months and weeks at least in advance and say, there's going to be a great party. You are invited. And every one of these guests had already accepted the invitation. And this call to say everything was ready was just to say, It is prepared. The place cards are out. Your name tag is ready. Come. It's time to celebrate. It's important for us to remember that they had accepted this. But then they begin to do something strange. Look at verse 18 through 20 again. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, and and I can't attend this. I'm sorry. So what, what are they saying? You have to understand that this servant goes out, and everybody who's listening to this parable understands how pathetic these excuses are. Oh, that party, you know what, I put it in my iPhone. I was planning on being there, but... I just bought some land, and I need to go check it out. They knew that in that culture, you would never buy a piece of land without doing your homework, without taking samples of the soil and walking every square inch of it. You wouldn't go check it out after you bought it. This was a crazy excuse. Nobody would do that. Then the next one. I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out first. I hope you understand. 
which I know a lot of you buy a lot of oxen in your week, and you understand that you go try them out after. This would be like going and buying a car and saying, you know what, I wish I could come, but I just bought a vehicle. i got to go find out if it's a pickup or if it's a minivan or if it's a sports car. Huh? You, you bought a vehicle and you don't even know what it is. Well, I'm sorry, I wish I could be there. I don't know what it is. That's dumb. Nobody does that. If you've done that, we need to talk. That's, that's strange. Don't do that. These excuses are, are, are lame. And now the last one. It's downright offensive and, and even taboo. Because here's what's happening. The third person says, oh, that party. Well, you know, I just happened to get married and, you know, I can't make it. First of all, you would never plan your wedding over another great huge party like that in a community so small. That never would have happened. But there's also this subtle undertone in this excuse. This guy is basically saying, hey, listen, I just got married. It's my wedding night and I can't come, if you know what I mean. I can't get there. I'm sorry. You wouldn't say that to the... Master's servant. That's rude. I don't even know if I should have said that right now. It's just kind of strange. But he makes this excuse that nobody would ever dream of making. And Jesus is saying people went on to give excuse after excuse to get out of this great party. Trying to avoid a party to get out of a celebration. I thought everybody loved a party. Why wouldn't they want to be there? What is it in them that would make them want to give such dumb excuses. But then when I read this, I think of our own lives, and we can begin to see what Jesus is saying. What is it that we do every day with God? Every one of us, if we're honest, we've made excuses of why we didn't want to be in the most precious place in the presence of God. You know, we do it when God is calling us to spend time with Him, to be in His presence, to show up there, and we say, God, I'm just too tired. I can't, I can't spend time with you today. God, I'm just so busy, and, and my life is so full. When things slow down, then, then I'll show up there. We begin to make excuse after excuse. Some of us just flat out say, I, I don't buy that. I don't believe that life with God can be a celebration. I don't know that I could know him that fully, and know him that completely. I just don't know if I buy that. Still others, if we're really honest today, I think there's some here that would say that if I was invited into this great party with God, he's going to find out something about me, and he's going to kick me out. I just don't deserve to be there. I, I, my excuse is I'm just confident that, that I won't fit in. There are these things in our life that if we even let them sneak up on us, God is waiting and he is longing to celebrate his gifts for us. But we pass by. I think Jesus is asking us today, the same thing has been happening for thousands of years. People have been making excuses and missing the whole point. Look at verse 21 through 23. The master has a response Go and get those who would never be thought of to be invited to the table. My house will not be empty. The amazing thing is that he now brings in the lowly, the poor, and says, you are the honored guest. I think people who really understand the invitation have no problem being at the party because they know it's not about how honored they are. It's how good the host is. See, this story has tremendous deeper meaning that Jesus tells, like many of his stories. The master in this parable that Jesus is telling, it's the story of God the Father. 
And the servant is Jesus. And there's a great twist that when Jesus goes out and gets us and invites us to the master's table, he sends us out as servants again to bring in more people because there's plenty of room at the great banquet. But today I want to ask you, what have you done with your invitation? What's the status of your RSVP? Have you declined your invitation because you're camped out at the me table? I'm so focused on what I want in my life. I'm so self-centered. I'm so self-driven that I can't even accept his invitation. Maybe you've moved past that and you've been freed of that, but you've only taken bits and pieces of the good news of the gospel, and you're so mistaken, you have it so twisted that you miss what the master is doing at his table. Or maybe you have responded, you say, I'm ready to go to the master's table, just not today. How about next week? Jesus is saying, life with me, the best way I can describe it, is the greatest celebration, the best party, and why would you want to miss it? Are you showing up even if you have responded to your invitation? Who are you bringing with you? You see, it's not where you want to be or hope to be, but it's where you show up that matters in this principle. I want to encourage you to look to the screens with me as we catch a final takeaway truth from this video that I want to share with you. 